0: Tuesday edition is getting underway, and uh, welcome in, everybody. hope your Tuesday is going well so far. We've got kind of a busy sports night tonight. We have uh, Bedlam Baseball in Tulsa at 1 Oak Field at 7 o'clock. Sooner softball team will try and go 30-0 and in the season, taking on Wichita State tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, we had the uh, Thunder winning in Portland last night. What are you oh, doing? Oh, no! Why are you winning that game? Here's Here's the problem. There are other teams out there in the NBA trying to tank basketball games, too, and Portland is one of those. Isaiah Roby had 30. Big game for Andrew Wiggins with 28. Tao Maladone continues to play well. He had 23 And the Thunder, you know, you had Isaiah Roby, who had a great night, hit that shot to send the game into overtime, and they win it in overtime 134-131. to Uh, They'll play the Atlanta Hawks tomorrow night at Paycom Center at 7 o'clock. Trey Young should be there. He's been nursing an injury but played the other night uh, in the one over Indiana. Trey Young currently fourth in scoring in the league behind uh, only LeBron, Joel Embiid, and Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is also third in NBA assists, so a great year for Trey Young. Hey, the NIT semis are tonight. Oh, boy. St. Bonaventure, the team that eliminated Oklahoma, playing Xavier, Washington State, and Texas A&M will play. We're getting ready for the Final Four this weekend. First game out, five ten on TBS, Nova, and Kansas. And then the nightcap, Duke and Carolina, will Coach K get to a national championship game? And is Tiger Woods going to play at Augusta next week? You saw the video he and Joey Lacaba out at medalist and uh you know traipsing around the golf course there. And I have it on good authority today. You've seen the reports out there and I talked to somebody who knows a member at Augusta. Tiger Woods is at Augusta today. Oh boy. Tiger is at Augusta oh today. Oh boy.
1: Steely's working the sources.
0: And that means that ladies and gentlemen, I'm at 55% now for Tiger playing in the Masters. And I was about Twenty percent last week, but what that tells me is that he's going out there and it's going to try and walk the course and see how he feels, you know, and feel, you know, whether or not he can play four competitive rounds at Augusta. I guess the November twenty twenty Masters, the rescheduled Masters, was Tiger's last. Uh, So it's been it's been a long time, man, since we've seen Tiger out there. And if he plays and somehow he won this event for his sixth. Green jacket. Now, that would be something. That would be unbelievable to have. Oh, boy. To go from (laughs) a potentially amputated leg to winning at Augusta. In the span of a week, we've gone from Tiger's definitely not going to be playing at the Masters to what if Tiger wins the Masters? I had my caveat, though, but if there's anybody who can do it, it's Tiger Woods. That's very true. And he is out there, uh, and we assume he's in Augusta. He's got to be. Well, I mean, if he wasn't going to play, he could just pick up the phone and call, you know, the folks at Augusta and say, ah, sorry, man, can't make it. But why else would he be in Augusta, Georgia, besides playing a a practice round today and trying to see how he does walking that course? And Augusta's a fairly difficult walk, you know, particularly when you had the situation that he's had for the last year, which... And he said at the PNC when he and Charlie played again that, you know, guys, I'm not ready to go out and play competitive on the PGA Tour yet. Uh, I'm not there, you know, walking the course. I can't even walk the course yet. Well, and that was, what, three months ago or so? Maybe four? So, who knows? It's Tiger Woods. He won the U.S. Open on a broken leg, right? Oh, man, I remember that. What was that, 2008? Tory Pines. Yeah, that was his last Masters or his last major before he won the Masters in 2019. Was it really? Yeah. It was him yeah, and a was Rocco a long that day, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't and they did they go to a playoff? They did go to a playoff. I remember, remember watching
1: this. I was in California.
0: Rocco showed up in red and black, just like Tiger, for the playoff. And Rocco's got a good personality. But the, and, uh, Tiger looked like he had him completely done, and then Rocco made a little comeback. And, of course... Tiger uh, was able to get the victory, but there is a possibility we may see my man Tiger at Augusta next week. But let's talk spring football for the Sooners and what's going on with the University of Oklahoma. Brent Venables meeting the media yesterday. The Sooner head coach has everybody fired up. He was asked about how the the offensive and defensive installs are going at this point.
2: You lay it out there and you have a pretty aggressive um, installation pattern on paper, and then you start... Uh, working and you slow down a little bit and so for all the reasons you can go down like whether you're somewhere and you're returning and you have a foundation set and you have a culture uh, and you have a lot of experience coming back that's how it always is or the flip side is when we're we're trying to learn we've been watching these guys with out of their helmets and t-shirts and shorts for you know eight weeks and now you get who's in what jersey numbers and um so not as never as fast as you want it to be installation-wise, um, but we had an aggressive game plan and uh, just making adjustments as we go. There we go. So
0: it's going to take a little while, but, uh, you know, you've seen the video from practice, and it's very structured, and they're very hands-on, and uh, uh, there is a lot of instruction going on out there, and Brent is very loud and uh, teaching. I don't think it's necessarily getting in guys' faces all the time. What did he say at his opening press conference? You know, we're going to coach him hard and love him harder. So uh, there's a lot of teaching going on there right now. Have we found out anything about the Chris Plank mystery yet? He's, he uh, he played the clip that leads you to believe that Trey Morrison might be working out with the linebackers.
1: Yeah, I, I'll say this. I, I've done some additional digging, and – As of right now, I don't have any reason to believe that Trey Morrison is working at linebacker. After all, he's he's 5'9", 189. Yeah, yeah. He's played nickel, corner, and safety. So, I guess, theoretically, he could play linebacker just because he's demonstrated an ability to play basically everywhere. But uh, it seems a whole lot like just a slip of the tongue from Brent because – Trey Morrison actually spoke to the media yesterday as well, and he mentioned that for the most part, he's getting coached up by Jay Valai, the cornerback coach.
0: So, it probably was a slip of the tongue. And again, uh, Trey Morrison, the the defensive back, the transfer came through the portal from North Carolina. So, uh, what do you think the chances are that Oklahoma actually sells out the spring game April 23rd, that they pack the house?
1: I, I think there's a greater than 50 percent chance.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think there's a shot. I think they have a shot at getting it done and they're obviously trying to get it done. It would how big would that be for recruiting? I mean, we, we oh, try would be massive. like in what way? Obviously, you know, whether it's Bama or Nebraska, I'm sure you know those Nebraska fans will come out for anything. They could have a seven-on-seven deal, and Nebraska fans would be there. That's probably true. But, um, you know, do you think the kids, again, would go, man, Oklahoma's selling out a spring game, and that that could be a big factor, but it it certainly couldn't hurt. We know that. What does every 17-year-old want, Mike? Attention. They want to be the center
1: of attention. And so, yes, having an ardent fan base definitely means something and definitely has an impact on recruiting because – when these prospects see 85,000 fans packing out Owen Field for a spring game, they're going to say, wow, these people care about football, and they're going to care about me if I choose to play here.
0: No, and and I agree with that. I agree with that. And I said something the other day, man, I've never understood tweeting at recruits, and I, and I still don't quite get that. But if one of these recruits comes out and you see it happen all the time and they take a visit, right? Hey, Sooner Nation, show me some love. You know, they want more followers, whether it's Insta, Twitter, whatever. And, you know, if you retweet that or like that, I think that's that's perfect because those kids want to see that stuff, man. They want to know. They want to see the love from whatever fan base they're uh throwing that out to, and the Oklahoma fans have been really good in that respect, and I do think that makes a difference. In this day and age, that certainly makes a difference, there's no doubt. Alright, let's hear from Brent yesterday, talking about his quarterback, new stuff, talking about what Dylan Gabriel has meant so far.
2: Yeah, he's he's got, to me, my opinion, he has those special qualities, um, and he's, he does it with his work, his competitiveness, his toughness. Obviously, he has street credibility with the players, because what he has done um, at a high level. All he's done since he's been here is work and uh, he inspires he encourages. He leads by example, uh, takes responsibility, takes responsibility even when it's not his fault uh, like the good ones will do. And uh, again, just brings out the best in people. So uh, both sides of the ball, he's, he's been great. He's been, like I said before, he's been a pro in every way.
0: All right, Brent, talking about uh, the installation of the offense and the defense, obviously likes what he sees out of Dylan Gabriel so far. What about the players and what they've seen – from Brent in his first go round as a head coach. Here's Danny Stutzman and Reggie Grimes.
3: He's fooled me. I feel like he's been coaching head coach for 50 years. Or he looks great out there. He's comfortably he leads us, and I couldn't be more happy.
4: You couldn't tell that this was his first head coaching job. So uh, he knows how to get us to listen when
0: he speaks. We do listen. Um, he has a, he has full command of our attention, and whenever he does coach you, it's it's from a place of love and because you know this guy has done it before. There you go. That is uh, Danny Stutzman and Reggie Grimes talking about Brent Venables. You know what spring football sounds like, sound bites sound like. You're going to win a national championship, right? I mean, everything's going to be positive, but I, I do see a lot of positivity within the Oklahoma football program. I don't think there's any doubt about that. There's a culture change happening. Uh, who knows in the long run which culture is going to be better. It is the mule shoe posing with luxury automobiles. Everything's about look at me, look at me, look at me. Or is it, you know, the family culture that Brent seems to be going with? Well, doesn't seem to be going with. They are definitely going with that now at OU. And we'll see. You know what? It's usually about the guys who play the game. Now, the question is, again, how does that culture change with the players who make up the roster? You know, um, and I'm not saying that there weren't really good guys playing for Mule there. They're, if you're playing college football at a high level, and play, you've got to be doing things right. Practice, academics, all of that stuff, you've got to be doing something right. But it does seem to be more of a family feel now. Parker, is that fair? Not to say that, like, they were anti-family during the Muleshoe administration, but it seems like there's more of that now.
1: Yes. Well, and that's that's the entire mission of the soul program. Yeah. Right? We're going to care about you as a complete human being, not just as an athlete. And so there is a contrast between the way that things were operated under Muleshoe and the way that things will be operated under Brent. And it's consistent with the model he used at Clemson. And when you look at the last decade, Mike— Clemson's consistently been one of the best football programs in the country. This isn't news to anybody. So, it begs the question, right? If it worked there, why isn't going to why isn't it going to work all the more at Oklahoma?
0: Yeah, and uh, not like the OU culture has been bad. I mean, the Sooners have won a lot of football games. I'm not saying that, but it's a different culture now at OU, and we'll see if that uh, means something when it comes to toughness, when it comes to where the Sooners are mentally and physically at the end of games in a real tight, tough game where it's very physical, where the Sooners had some failures in the past against really good teams. Uh, can they you know, clear that hurdle now with Brent and the way they're going about things? We'll find out. We'll find out. It's going to be fun to watch it play out. All right, we're going to break right here. Welcome in. Steelman and Thune here on a Tuesday. Thanks to our friends at Lasher Home Comfort Systems. They'll do a tremendous job for you. Heating and air issues. Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems will get the job done for you. They've done work for us over at Chase Stadium. They'll do a great job for you as well. Give them a call, 405-579-3113. Coming right back. Got a lot more ahead, including Brandon Drum talking about why in the, you know what, did the Thunder win that game last night. Plus, we'll talk uh, spring football and more with Jesse Crittenden of the Norman Transcript at 135. Keep it here. All right, back with you on a Tuesday, Mike Steeley along with Parker Thune, the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network, Bedlam Baseball tonight, One Oak Field in Tulsa, seven o'clock. Might have a little uh, weather issue tonight. We'll have to wait and see. Certainly going to be very windy. Also for the Sooner women uh, playing softball at home at Marita Hines Field against Wichita State, six o'clock for the first pitch. There as the Sooner women look to go to thirty and zero on the season. And we'll talk to Brandon Rabar about the Thunder winning in Portland last night.
1: You want to talk You want to talk about something controversial, Mike. I don't know if you saw this circulating on Twitter, but the Chiefs I are saw, considering yeah, I did see that. moving to a new stadium on the other side of the Kansas-Missouri state line. How about that? That is a very easy way to get Kansas City-Kansas people and Kansas City-Missouri people Fighting.
0: Yes, Arrowhead is still a great stadium environments, but it's uh it's pretty outdated, right? I mean, how old is Arrowhead? But you know the uh, the atmosphere around uh, Arrowhead Stadium is really good. I mean, the Chiefs fan do Chiefs fans do a great job packing that place. They're uh, they're all over it and very much into the game. The tailgating is really cool, but it is uh, it's pretty old, right? It opened in nineteen seventy two, so fifty years old. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty old by NFL standards. What is Lambeau is is older. Uh Soldier Field got renovated, but you know, uh that would be older. But again, it's it's kinda newer. Those, I'm, I'm,
1: those Midwest football stadiums for the most part are yeah. the older ones across the NFL. Of course the Vikings got a brand new stadium. Mm-hmm because the
0: Metrodome collapsed. Ford Field, is Lions, uh, been there for a while. They were in the Silverdome for a while. They were in the
1: Silverdome until, what, 2002?
0: Yeah, somewhere in that range.
1: Yeah, And, of course, the Silverdome sat vacant and empty for over a decade before they eventually, I think it was like 2018, they finally demolished it.
0: Yeah, but Arrowhead, uh, that's going to be very interesting. Speaking of the NFL, you did see the NFL-approved overtime rules, but for the playoffs only, the new overtime rules. Which, again, I'm all for the new rule. Both teams should get a shot with the football. And, yes, you could say, well, play defense first time around. Well, what about making the other team play defense too? It still, at some point, does come down to a coin flip. And, again, the argument is make a stop, okay? I get it. Let's see the other team make a stop, too. That's all I've been asking for. And I don't know. It's, it's really bizarre to me, though, to have different overtime rules for. And I understand they don't reg- want regular season games to go on forever. Okay, I get it. But it's still pretty strange.
1: You know what else is interesting on the topic of NFL stadiums? The Bills have a new stadium proposal, right, for like a $1.4 billion venue mm-hmm. that isn't a dome. Like, I feel like the whole reason that the Chiefs are angling for a new stadium is because they play in Kansas City in December and January, Mike. Partly, I'm sure. You kind of need a dome.
0: You know what, though? We don't need to live in a domed world.
1: I agree all so the time.
0: I, I like the elements coming into play every oh, now and I then. One hundred percent, you will watch a Buffalo Bills game, even if you're not a Bills fan. If you're, if you know, I know football fans will watch anything. But let's say if if a game is, you know, there's a blizzard going on, but there's a good chance it's going to happen in Buffalo or at Lambeau or someplace like that. How much more are you into the game just to see that? Right? If you take that away, don't take that away, please. But if you're
1: not building a dome, why build a new stadium? That's my whole. Yeah, I. I if I you're going to spend all that money, might as well dome it. Otherwise, just stay put.
0: What is the worst situation you've been in in a stadium with the weather?
1: That's that's tough because I can't say that I've ever. Okay, nope. I know exactly. I know exactly. The only game to this day that I have ever been to at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. It was Nebraska versus Kansas in 2008. and Sue caught a touchdown pass that day. And Nebraska won 45-35. It was the coldest I had ever been in my young life. I think game time temperature was something like 12 degrees. And, of course, it was just windy as all get-out, so it felt way colder. Yeah. And I was bundled up. I had hand warmers. It was still frigid. And it was still miserable. And it only got worse as it got dark.
0: See, Parker, here's the deal. You're a, a good, solid human being. And uh, that would have been when you were really a kid. So you couldn't have taken a flask in then. You wouldn't take a flask in now. <laughs> That's the only way you get through that situation <laughs> is a flask.
1: That's it. Yeah. Have you ever employed this tactic, Mike? Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, boy. Uh, Nebraska, Oklahoma, I uh, was not working that postgame show that was the john blake era back in the day or not nebraska Oklahoma it was texas a&m playing at ou
1: i was about to say those and, uh, those john blake era games between nebraska and oklahoma were, were not, not good. particularly good no close. like
0: 77 to 3 or whatever i mean it, it, they they were ugly And nebraska court, could have scored 100 in some of those but it was a&m came to norman played ou and it was a night game and it was the coldest ever I don't know what the temp was, but I know I had like seven layers of clothing on, and uh, I wasn't working the post game, so I, I did have a little bit of a flask. I didn't drink very much, but just... He a, said I did have a little bit of a, a flask. A little bit out of a flask is what I should have said, but I had to uh, numb the senses a little bit to make myself think that I wasn't really cold, even though I was freezing, so... I don't know. Like I said, I want to see people in the elements at Lambeau Field. I want to see fans out in the elements in, in, in a game at Buffalo. I don't want to be out there with them in the elements, but I want to watch them deal with the elements. Now, the worst, of course, are the people who will go shirtless in those situations. Those people are absolutely insane. I wonder if any fan in that situation, and you see him whenever it happens at a game like that, there's always like three or four guys in a row with – Go pack or something, you know. Uh, I wonder if they've ever suffered frostbite. That's borderline masochistic. I, 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 the,
1: the. You remember the the barrel guy at Broncos games, mm-hmm. where he just be literally just be wearing a barrel, no matter what the weather was. You're talking about Mile High Stadium. Not only are you cold, but you're subjected to altitude. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes a special brand
0: of person. It does. To be able to pull that off. What was the coldest or the worst uh, weather that you guys or ladies have been involved in? What do you think? Uh, let us know in the Air Comfort Solutions text line 405-651-3439. 405-651-3439. I don't know what the temp was for that Oklahoma-Texas A&M game, but it was real I mean, it was unbearably cold. And like I said, I... I will go at three layers. If I, I can't remember if I won a fourth layer for that game, but it was it was ridiculous. Um But like I said, I don't want to see all of our games played in dome stadiums. We need we need a few out there that are domeless where and I realize that, you know, that's that's the way we're going with a lot of these stadiums. Uh, or you can have the retractable roof. I'm good with that. Like, Arizona has one, right? Don't they have the field they roll into and everything? There's stadiums, uh, Texas Stadium. You can do that. Obviously not Texas Stadium, but Jerry World. Texas Stadium had a hole actually there. Uh, the old stadium in They Irving. played a
1: couple snow games because of yeah, the hole in the roof there. Th- that's
0: right. That Wasn't that the Leon Lett Yeah, the Leon Let game. Lett
1: game. Against the Dolphins.
0: I, I love it that on the Spanish broadcast for the Cowboys, he was El Cato Grande, <laughs> Leon Letts, back in the day. Fumbling, stumbling, and uh, wasn't that, a, that was a Thanksgiving Day game? Was that against Miami? Yeah, it was against Miami,
1: yeah. Where they kicked the field goal on the next play and won the game. I, I
0: got to text. I've got to test my memory every now and then at this age to make sure I know what I'm talking about. All right, I can tell you this. I know what I'm talking about when it comes to great companies, and Tim Lasher has one. Air and heating problems, you have them. Eventually, you're going to give Tim Lasher and the folks at Lasher Home Comfort Systems a call. Four zero five. Five seven nine thirty one thirteen. 7 they will do a great job for you. We can speak from experience. They've been over to our place a couple times, done a great job. All right, let's talk a little about uh, Thunder. What are you doing, Thunder? Basketball. When we get back with our friend Brandon Rabar up next, right here in the home of Sooner fans, the ref. All right, I uh, confess I was not going to stay up for a, a game that was going to finish Around midnight, and this was out, no, without knowing it was going overtime for basically a G League game with two teams tanking. But I did wake up this morning, check Twitter right off the bat, saw the Thunder one, and I went all Nancy Kerrigan. I mean, completely Nancy Kerrigan with uh, that score when I saw it this morning.
2: Why? Why?
0: That was pretty much my reaction right there. Brandon Rebar joins us on the law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma tax resolution line. And, uh, Brandon, the one thing that you've got to throw into the equation, there are other teams that are trying to tank just like Oklahoma City. So, yeah, you know, that's what I know. Fans get frustrated, but guess what? Portland's trying to do the same thing.
5: No, that's exactly right. They basically were Tonya Harding last night to the Thunders. Uh, yeah, that's hungry, right. That's right. Even hungry hungry though they lost, Marriott.
0: they uh, they uh, they inflicted damage on OKC.
5: Yeah, they absolutely did. No, And you're right. Uh, when it came down to it, the Thunder, once the ball is tipped, here's the difference between the Thunder and the other taking teams. The Thunder actually try to play to win and they coach to win. Like, if you watch these games, They'll challenge calls and clutch situations. Uh, you know, there's a point in the game last night uh, where Portland needed a three at the end. They went for two instead of three. The Thunder, obviously, Isaiah Roby hit a game-tying three with five seconds left to send it into OT. Like, when they're actually out there, they're playing, to win. They're playing the best players. Orlando uh, yesterday, they were uh, a point ahead of Cleveland. With just a couple minutes left, they didn't put in their best players to end it. They've left their worst players in. So it's those kind of things, you know, whether that's, you know, more morally tanking or or whatever it may be. uh, Once the ball is tipped, the Thunder's trying to win. And and so they're having a hard time out-tanking these other tanking teams.
1: And it doesn't help on a night where Teo Maladone goes for twenty three points, Isaiah Roby puts up thirty, and Andrew Wiggins has twenty eight. Does it now, Brandon?
5: Yeah, no, exactly. That's the other thing too. The Thunder's into the bench guys. You know, they whether it be through legitimate injuries or shutting guys down or a combination of both. Because I do think it's a combination of both. Uh, most of the guys are truly injured, but the Thunder's into the bench guys. Even without SGA and Giddy and Dort and all those guys, they're capable. They're competent players. Isaiah Roby and Teo Maladone and even Poku, Aaron Wiggins—they're they're capable, competent players, and they're playing really well. Yeah, Wiggins had his career high of twenty-eight. Isaiah Roby had his career high of thirty points. Maladone his third straight twenty-point game out of nowhere. So yeah, the, the Thunder just has some guys at the end of the bench who can actually play.
0: Interesting, uh, you know the Thunder are are looking again like it's going to be that uh, fourth worst record uh, situation. Uh, They're two games uh, behind Detroit in the race and two and a half behind the Rockets and the Magic. Now they do have Detroit coming up on Friday night. They play Atlanta uh, tomorrow night at Paycom Center, and then they play the Pistons coming up. On Friday night, but uh, the bottom line is you have seven regular season games left. And again, the problem is, guess what? The Pistons are trying their very best to lose, over so the Rockets and the Magic. Really, those are the four teams in the mix. So it, it's almost looking like Oklahoma City is destined to uh, to finish in that four spot.
5: Yeah, it's it's really hard to see a situation where they they get above that and and rise into the top three. Uh, like you said, that Detroit game could have been really, really big had the Thunder secured that loss last night, yep. winning in overtime. Uh, I just don't see a, a way where, where the Thunder get into that top three. Ultimately, you know, the lottery, it's a 52.1% chance to get a top four pick if you're in that bottom three. Well, the Thunder are bottom four. They're probably staying there. And so they have a 48.1% chance of getting a top four pick. You know, ideally you'd like that extra 4%, but it's not devastating. The bigger worry may be, like, you know, how far will they fall if they're at 4 instead of, say, 3 or 2. Like, you know, the the farthest you'd fall if you're 1 is 5. Uh, if it's 2, it's 6, and so on and so forth. So you're working those odds as well. So the Thunder staying at the 4 spot, it's not the worst thing, but Indiana's kind of creeping there at 5. So the rest of the way, I think the bigger concern is just don't fall below 4 and get past the uh, Pacers.
1: And what happens, Brandon, if you do fall to five or even lower? Because at the end of the day, you know, you look at mo- what most consider to be the top tier in this upcoming draft. You have Chet Holmgren, you have Paulo Bonquero, you have Jabari Smith, and you have Jaden Ivey. After that, who do you, who are you dealing with in tier two that would be still on the board at pick number five?
5: No, you're exactly right. I, I think and, – and that's the thing. That's why, to me, it's not completely devastating. If you don't get – you know, the, the top four – it basically comes down to whether you want to call it fate, luck, whatever you want to call it, because they're, they're drawing actual names, you know, from a lottery. So if you're not there, then you're either going to be five, six, seven, eight. And so once you get to that point, I personally like this guy named Shaden Sharp at Kentucky. He hasn't played a, a lick of ball all season long. Nobody's seen him, but he's the number one kid in his high school class. Uh, and John Calipari says he would be the number one overall pick if he came out next year instead of this year. So he's a really, really talented guy, but nobody has any film on him. So is he there at five? Uh, yes, but will he be there at six, seven, eight? Maybe, maybe not. He probably has the highest upside. But then you look at guys like Keegan Murray from Iowa. You got Benedict Matherin. You've got uh, AJ Griffin from Duke. That's your next tier. Maybe Jalen Durant. And the the good thing I guess is for the Thunder. Maybe a little bit comforting if you don't get that, that top four. That five through eight, it's kind of dealer's choice. There's no consensus yet on how those will be shaken out. So, you know, maybe the guy that's Thunder like is there at seven. You know, maybe he falls from five to seven. We'll see.
0: Hopefully they don't have to worry yeah. about that though. I, I think again, uh, Matherin at Arizona. You guys, have seen, you saw him throw down the dunk in the NCAA tournament that everybody was talking about. Sharp, like you said, is a little bit mysterious, but the potential and the way he was rated uh, coming out of high school, no doubt, everybody loves his uh, his ceiling is very high. AJ Griffin again has made a lot of plays for Duke. Uh, you mentioned Keegan Murray from Iowa, so I don't think it would be just total devastation. But you obviously would like to have one of those top four, and we'll see. Maybe the uh, the uh, lottery gods will finally smile on Oklahoma City. All right, uh, LeBron James and the Lakers. San Antonio, again, they're poised to knock the Lakers out of the uh, play-in game situation. Right now, if it ended, the Lakers would be in a play-in game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But San Antonio's only a half game back Uh, it's still pretty amazing that LeBron at 37 years of age is leading the league in scoring, as disastrous as this year has been. They're 12 games below 500. the Lakers are. But if the Lakers don't even make the playoff, uh, the play-in game, then, I mean, this has got to rate with one of the biggest disasters, if not the biggest in in the history of the NBA, if they don't even make the play-in game.
5: Yeah. Yeah, this Lakers team, you know, they won a championship game or a championship a couple years ago. You add Russell Westbrook, so you've got LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook. Now the rest of the roster, obviously not very good at all, but those three guys not even be able to make a play. And now, the, you know, the big asterisk here is that Anthony Davis has missed most of the season. LeBron has missed a lot of time. Uh, look, the Lakers' schedule the rest of the way is the second toughest in the NBA. They still have to play the Suns, the Warriors, the Mavs, the Jazz, and the Nuggets twice. And then their other two games, one's the Pelicans, who they're fighting for the play-ins with, and they've been a lot, lot better since they've gotten healthy. And then the Thunder, who will be willing to give them a game if it helps them out. Yep, (laughs) But, you know, there's a very real chance that the Lakers don't make the play-in, and that is just absolutely absurd. I mean, nobody would most people had them coming out of the West this year comfortably. And they – I would say right now, I would – I would favor the Spurs when you just look at schedule strength going the rest of the way.
0: No doubt. And uh, that game with the Lakers is out in California, out in L.A., the next-to-last regular season game. The Thunder plays uh, the Lakers Friday, April 8th. And then uh, on Sunday they will play the Clippers to close out uh, the season on Sunday, April 10th. So, yeah, it's going to be crazy to see what happens there. Hey, Brandon, as always, we appreciate your time. We'll talk to you again next week.
5: Absolutely. You guys have a good one. Appreciate it.
0: Brandon dot DailyThunder.com, joining us right here on the law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line. Yeah, LeBron, uh, as bad as they've been, you know, 37 years old. LeBron James came out, uh, what, 2003? I believe he was the number 1 overall pick. Yes. Jason White was going into his senior season at OU. Yes. So he's been in the league a while, but he's leading the league. Uh, he's the only guy averaging 30 a game. Joel Embiid's just below at 29.9. 9 Giannis, uh, third. And Trey Young, like I said, fourth in league scoring. And uh, Trey is third in assists and also shooting 38, a little over 38% from three. So Trey's had an excellent year. We'll see if he makes one of the all-NBA teams. I, I would think there's a good shot he could make, like, the third team this year. Maybe higher, I don't know, but maybe the third team for Trey Young this year. All right, let's take a timeout right here. We'll head to the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439, 405-651-3439. It's a Tuesday. we got Jesse Crittenden talking Sooner football with us at 135. Norman Transcript Sports Editor. We'll head to your texts when we get back here on The Ref. All right, we're back. Good to have you along here on a Tuesday. Riverwind Casino, they've got some great April promotions on the way. We're getting close. I can tell you about Beats and Bites 2022. What uh, What is the Beats and Bites deal all about? Well, it's an outdoor concert series over at Riverwind, outside. Food trucks everywhere. I mean, there are a ton of food trucks. Great local food trucks out there. Crap beer from Coop Ale Works. And some big-time music outdoors at Riverwind we will start the Beats and Bites schedule on May 28th. It'll be Night Ranger and Starship with Mickey Thomas on uh, May 28th. Get on out there, see a great show. And then in June, Everclear with Sister Hazel. And Deep Blue Something uh, June 18th. Randy Rogers Band will be there in July on July 9th with a fireworks show after the Randy Rogers Band does their show on the Beats and Bites stage out at Riverwind and then Scotty McCreary coming up July 30th for the final show for Beats and Bites 2022. You can get your tickets online right now at riverwind.com. They're only 5 bucks. Heck of a deal, a great time. Get outside, enjoy some great food, some great beverages, and some big-time music out at Riverwind Casino for Beats and Bites 2022. It's happening right now. You can get your tickets online at Riverwind.com. Riverwind Casino is simply the best. You want to go to the Air Comfort Solutions tax line? Let's hit it. We have quite a few comments okay. here. OUKSU
1: at Arrowhead 2000 season. Big 12 title game. Coldest I've ever been.
0: You know, I was in the press box for that game, but... Yes, I remember the post-game show. We had a big tent, like a giant tent for the post-game for fans to come by and everything, and we had a bunch of heaters in there. So, but everybody said it was absolutely frigid. One listener says, "I have ran track in snowy winds." Snowy winds. Wow. Blowing snow, that's that's pretty extreme. Sounds like Nebraska to me. It does. <sighs> One listener says, "A dome in Kansas
1: City? Come on! For a couple of games a year, it's worth spending extra on a dome. That would be the most ridiculously domed stadium in NFL. I mean, <laughs> listen. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is, I I am not saying go build a dome. What I am saying is, if you're gonna go build a new stadium, if you're gonna sink all that money into facilities, put a dome over it. Because otherwise, there's literally no point." Arrowhead is a loud venue. If you like the elements, which I do and you do, Mike, Yeah. then you get the elements every single year in November, December, December and on into January. So if you're going to upgrade, at least make it an upgrade.
0: Yeah, and you, you know? can put the retractable roof on it, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. All right, it feels a lot colder when John Blake is coaching your team, Rip. That was a very cold night, no doubt.
1: Somebody says, working a Georgia at Georgia Tech football game, Thanksgiving Day, temperatures in the teens, sleet, and holding the uh, parabolic parabolic mic, mic, I'm sure is what that's supposed to say on the sideline. Um, Oh,
0: sleet would not be cool.
1: In Atlanta, though, I would never have guessed that.
0: Yeah, anytime you're in a sleety situation, that is not good. Uh, Would you rather be... Uh, really cold at a game, or be it a game where it's raining throughout?
1: <sighs> rain if rain it, is more tolerable. It is? Yeah, it's annoying, but it's tolerable. That could be just because, as you know, Mike, Like, I, I worked at a golf course for three years in high school doing maintenance, mm-hmm. so I would be out there mowing lawns and or uh, mowing fairways, raking bunkers, all that good stuff, and we'd have to work regardless of what the weather conditions were. So there there actually came a point at which my body essentially became impervious to rain. It was just like— Really? I, well, I You're just, the I, real I, rain man. Well, I just couldn't feel it. Like, you work for so many days in the early morning hours when there's dew on the ground, and your feet just get so soaked— That eventually you just cease to notice yeah you look down and you're like wow my feet are covered covered in water and you don't feel a thing well not only that
0: the dew on the golf course is not good early in the morning and i love to play early in the morning and we're gonna get the dew will be coming here in the uh, not too distant future and uh that gets your shoes pretty messed up your golf shoes one listener
1: says the NFL voting to change overtime rules isn't top 5 in the news of the offseason and I love it. Yeah, that's a thing today. The NFL is revising their overtime rules.
0: Yes, for the for uh or for uh, playoff games
1: only. Postseason only as of right now, but both teams will be guaranteed an opportunity to touch the ball. And of course, the I I, I would think the driving force behind that proposal was the contest between the Chiefs and the Bills.
0: Oh, my gosh. What, what what a great game. And, again, great job by Kansas City taking the ball downfield and scoring and scoring quickly. But the Bills were doing that on almost every possession. Again, they never got the football again. And, again, the argument from some people is always, well, play defense. Okay, yes, they didn't play defense. But let's also see Kansas City try and play defense, right? Give the Bills another shot. And to me, it's always been very simple. So. Uh, at least they made the move in the right direction for the postseason. It's still kind of weird to have one set of rules for the regular season and another set of rules for the playoffs, but at least – it's a positive move still. Someone says an NFL
1: stadium can house other events, so a dome opens up more possibilities. Exactly. Yeah, Again, true. you have to think about this in terms of the economic impact that it's going to have on the city, not just whether it's going to be fun to attend football games. There. Arrowhead
0: so, still looks like a throwback a little bit, though, it doesn't does. it? I mean, it and does. Got, they still have that uh, video screen that looks different than anybody else in the league, but the atmosphere there is still really good. So we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, intriguing to see uh, what happens there.
1: I am very much of the opinion that, in general, teams don't need new stadiums. They don't. There are a few exceptions. Obviously, when the roof collapses at the Metrodome, you need a new stadium. But for the most part, these upgrades are just for the sake of upgrading. It's these NFL t- teams saying, okay, we can squeeze some money out of the city to make this happen. Let's mm-hmm. build a brand new venue. And it's not exclusive Let's build NFL it on the teams. taxpayers' dime. Yeah, too, MLB right? teams do it all the time. It's a little less frequent in the NBA, but for the most part, NFL teams and MLB teams are constantly upgrading their venues. And it's never made sense to me why they do that and then come out with a venue that's barely, barely an upgrade. Over the previous one,
0: I wonder how long we're going to have some of the old real throwbacks around, like Fenway, like Wrigley, like Lambeau Field. I mean, eventually they'll probably go away, but man, I hope we can keep them around for a long time. All right, got another hour to go. Jesse Crittenden joins us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. Coming up at one thirty-five, a lot of sooner football to get into, and more. It's Tuesday. Steelman and Thune here on the Ref Radio Network. Hour number two, presented by the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Pauls Valley. A uh, great deal on a car. You're looking for one? If you are, exit seventy-two in Pauls Valley. Seth Wadley Auto Group plus the great guarantee. Oil changes engines for life on your news, gas, or diesel. That's a heck of a deal. So, uh, just talking to our buddy Mark across the hall, and he is he's an expert on all things here. Great, uh, does a great job in the magazines here, and uh, he's a huge Cardinal fan, but he also pays attention to the weather. We have storms rolling in potentially later tonight, but guess what the wind is going to be coming out of the south uh, at the time of the first pitch for the OU softball game tonight at 6 o'clock. Guess what the wind is going mm-hmm. to be? The wind speed. Oh, a wind speed. Okay.
1: What, 30, 35?
0: 40 miles an hour okay, I was close. at 6 o'clock, blowing out of the south. So uh, there might be – oh, you might win this game uh, 72 to zip over Wichita State. It's possible. So does that mean the wind is blowing out? It because if bl- the wind is blowing be, out. Yes, the wind would be blowing out towards right center as what we were thinking. So, Okay. Man, I mean, routine pop flies could be flying out of the ballpark. And uh, they might, uh, Jocelyn Allo might hit one over to uh, Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium. It might just go sailing right over the football offices and onto the field tonight. It's possible.
1: I mean, hey, what I'm hearing is that wind blowing out to right center, we're getting four oppo tacos tonight from Jocelyn Allo.
0: Well, you know, it could happen. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if Uncle Rico can throw a football over those mountains, or as he said, them mountains, Jocelyn Allo can hit one over those mountains. What's the nearest uh, mountain range? Kansas doesn't have any. That's a great question, Mike.
1: I have no idea. (laughs) Because let me tell you what, when I drive the six and a half, seven hours back to Nebraska—
0: Certainly not passing a single mountain. Uh, where does Kansas rank on the list of more, most boring states to drive through? Oh, it's it's that and Iowa. Those
1: are the two. Like, without question, those are the two. At least Nebraska has some topography when you get mm-hmm. out west because you got the sand hills. The western portion of the state is kind of picturesque. But for the most part, Kansas and Iowa, just flat and boring. Yes, Missouri, uh, you have the Ozarks. The Ozarks are probably the closest mountain range.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, But yeah, Kansas, there are some cool views where you look out over the plains for like ever, forever. If it's like overcast and there's a storm or something, you know, you can get a few kind of cool views driving through Kansas. Uh, I was the same way. You know, I had to drive uh, my wife, the lovely Shay, to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota for her heart surgery. So we we knew that it was going to be difficult for her to come back on a plane. It would be a lot more comfortable in uh, the Nissan Armada where she'd have more room to get in the back or lay back, you know, in the front seat. So we decided to drive it, and uh, Iowa was kind of that way. A lot of cornfields, of course, a lot of cornfields, but we did get to stop in Clear Lake, Iowa because I was like, Clear Lake, Iowa, what? And that is where Buddy Holly played his last concert. The next day was the day the music died. So the Surf Ballroom was there in Clear Lake. We found the Surf Ballroom, and it's preserved just like it was all the way way back when. Really? Yeah, they have a museum there and like a souvenir shop and stuff. But you can walk out there into the Surf Ballroom, and it's basically preserved just like it was, uh, you know, when Buddy Holly took the stage for the last time. So that was kind of a cool deal. But um yeah, I I don't know, Oklahoma going through Oklahoma. We've got we have some topography here, right? As you said. Yeah, Kansas has very little. But the
1: Flint Hills in Kansas are the saving grace of that state. There's a stretch of about 30-40 miles where it's tolerable.
0: The Flint Hills.
1: The Flint Hills. Hmm. Okay. The Flint Hills. What
0: area of Kansas is that?
1: That's in between Emporia and Wichita.
0: Okay. Yeah, I probably have driven by the Flint Hills and not really recognize them as hills. I don't know. Uh, Wichita, though, is not a good place, is it? I mean, I call it Funky Town because it has that sewer running through it. Oh, that's true. And uh, so uh, every time I hear Funky Town, I think of Wichita, Kansas. I mean, (laughs) now, you know, they had a great baseball program under Gene Stevenson, Oklahoman, by the way. Uh, They had some cool basketball teams also way back in the day was Xavier McDaniel and Antoine Carr and Cliff Levingston, Fred Van Vliet and Ron Baker recently. So they've had some players there, but they also brought BTK out of the existence, which uh, was one of the worst human beings in the history of humanity, of course. So, anyway, yeah, Parker's like, what? Uh, we're talking to I'm Marker, just trying to right? figure out how we got here. I'm just thinking of <laughs> Wichita, doing... you know? I'm just thinking of Wichita, funky town. All right. Went hills to BTK. The uh, Sooner football team, ladies and gentlemen, is going to win a national championship next year. And for many years after that, if you believe everything coming out of spring practice now, I think there's a ton of positivity coming out of there. I, if you've seen the videos, you've seen Brent Venables. Man, he could sell you anything, couldn't he? I'd get in, into a pyramid scheme. Yeah. I would join a Ponzi scheme if Brent was running one, but Brent has too much character to run a Ponzi scheme. He's no Bernie Madoff. He's a man with character, and he knows what he's doing and where he's going. Uh, and I like this coaching staff. But look. They're going to miss some tackles next year. They're going to bust some assignments next year. They may not win every game next year. I still think they have a great chance to win the Big 12. But overall, I like this new culture. I think it's a great change for OU. I think it's really important and vital right now based on where they're headed. And, I, you know, when you hear from these coaches, how can you not – think that these guys wouldn't want to play for him because they're super inspirational. Brent, of course, is that way. Miguel Chavis is becoming a rock star already. Uh, and Miguel Chavis yesterday was talking about one of the guys he's liked uh, out there that he's seen early and been impressed with is Ethan Downs.
3: And Ethan is, just a, is a, he's a monster, man. He's a local Oklahoman, Weatherford. And Ethan is, just a, is, a, is a monster, man. He's a local Oklahoman, Weatherford. And... um He's just a machine. You know, I just, I love everything about Ethan Downs. And he's coachable, he's teachable, he's flexible, and he's tough. And uh, he loves his teammates, man. I don't think there's a guy on this team that loves this team or Oklahoma or his position more than Ethan Downs. Maybe there's somebody that loves him just as much, but not more than Ethan Downs. You know, Ethan Downs is the type of young man, uh, you know, practice is over and somebody maybe ripped off some tape and forgot to pick it up, which is a huge no-no for us here at Oklahoma. All right. Nobody cleans up after Oklahoma. It's nobody else's job but ours. And Ethan Downs is—if if anybody's going to be the guy to go pick it up, it's going to be Ethan Downs. And just who he is on and off the field. And uh, but he—he's I mean, risen to the to the challenge, and he's doing great, man. It's, I mean, it's unbelievable. Doing great. There you go.
0: I love that uh, about the tape. What is that? That's attention to detail, right? Taking pride in not only what you do on the field, but taking care of where you play uh, and making sure. I I think that stuff means something. Now, again, it's not as important as getting a five-star recruit, but it's pretty important. Those little things add up. In your culture, and you can't overlook him. And when I heard that, I'm like, I love that. I love it. By the way, speaking of attention to detail, that's my second editing mistake in two days. <laughs> where uh, I, I what is going on with me? Jeez. It's like wait,
1: wait, wait. I was like, wait, he's saying the exact same thing you just I,
0: said. I know. I left the. I, I tried to edit it, and I, I I made a mistake there. So anyway, but Miguel Chavis, man, you can't be more impressed with this guy right now, can you? I mean, based on what he's done recruiting-wise already and just his personality, and uh, he's the kind of guy you want to play for. He's, got, he's very dynamic, and uh, I think he's got obviously a good, solid foundation of what life's all about and uh, what their culture is all about. And this guy, you know, great opportunity for him. He was a grad assistant, right? And all of a sudden you're an assistant coach? At Oklahoma, you're making good money, and you've already done a fabulous job uh, on the recruiting trail. I mean, Miguel Chavis has been the star of the early recruiting process for OU, right? Now you want to know something funny? Miguel Chavis actually makes more than DeMarco Murray does. Is that crazy? Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, t- to be fair, first off, DeMarco Murray has a ridiculous amount of money from his NFL days. Mm. And also, he's enough of a program guy. That- right. It, like, the money doesn't much matter. If the money mattered to him that much, he would have gone out to USC with Mule Shoe. Yeah. It doesn't. But uh, that tells you what kind of belief Brent Venables and this Oklahoma football program have in, in Miguel Chavis.
0: Yeah, and, and sometimes the financial stuff is all circumstances, right? Um, and, yeah, DeMarco has been, uh, you know, valuable so far, big time. There is no doubt. But Miguel Chavis, uh, you know, and look – We talked about what Sooner fans wanted when when Shoe left. Brent Venables was top priority, right? That happened pretty early on. Then, man, if we could get Brent and Jeff Levy to run the offense, that would be awesome. Okay, you get that. Then you get the icing on the cake, Todd Bates, one of the best recruiters in college football, well-respected around the country. Follows Brent to Norman, and we just kind of Miguel Chavis was the first guy we knew about because we saw on social media, and not that people were like, uh, you know, that okay, yeah, whatever. But uh, man, I, I think Miguel Chavis has had a pretty a pretty good impact early on. People like him. People are impressed with him he's, uh, you know, he could be a head coach down the road someday and be a star. I mean, he's got that dynamic personality, and uh, obviously I think he's got a pretty solid foundation working with Dabo and Brent and what he's been all about. He was in ministry, right, before he decided yeah, to go Yeah, he spent to three
1: years as a youth pastor.
0: Yeah, why not, man? Why not? So I like what they're preaching over there, pardon the pun, but it looks pretty good to me. All right, uh, we'll uh, get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. We'll get the latest uh, recruiting news as to what's happening there from Parker here in a minute. And uh, we will also talk to Jesse Crintenden, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. The uh, spring game, April 23rd, 3 o'clock. That's the day of the Baker statue dedication. Going to be a huge day in Norman, no doubt about it. Can they pack the palace? Can the OU fans pack the palace? I'm saying there's a chance and a good chance. Keep it here. Coming right back on the ref. We're back. It is a Tuesday edition of Steelman and Thune at noon. Well afternoon now. Good to have you along. We have Jesse Crittenden coming up, Norman Transcript, sports editor. He'll join us on the law offices of Rod Polson, Oklahoma tax resolution line coming up here in a little bit. Uh, We will get to your texts as well. Air Comfort Solutions, text line 405-651-3439. All right, let's go there right now. All
1: right. One listener says,
0: in the new overtime,
1: the Chiefs score, then the Bills score, then Chiefs score, then what? Everyone will say the Bills should have gotten another shot. No, not really. I don't think so. I don't think that discourse is going to be as prevalent as you think it'll be, just because you will have gotten an opportunity. like Consider this. Consider this, the Bills are going to have an opportunity to win that game because they're going to have the ability to go for two Mm -hmm. and end it right then and there. Yeah. And so I think a lot of that controversy is going to go away as long as you guarantee both teams the opportunity to touch the football. Because look, at the end of the day, you got to play defense too. You got to be able to play both sides of the football and... That's why I wasn't 100% comfortable with everybody saying, "Eh, well, this Chiefs-Bills game shows you just how broken the system is. Now, the system is broken, but I certainly understand the viewpoint that, well, if if you want to have an opportunity to touch the football, play defense as well and be able to come up with a stop. But you're not putting the onus on both teams equally because the Chiefs have the opportunity in that scenario to end the game, The Bills don't unless the Chiefs hand it to them, right? And so as long as you give both teams an opportunity to have a possession, then I think you've done all you can do. Because if Buffalo goes and scores a touchdown to bring that game within a point and they decide they want to try to end it then and there and – they don't have faith in their defense to come up with a stop. They can go for two, and they've got one play from the 2-yard line to either win or lose the football game.
0: Yeah, it's not perfect, but it's much better than what we've had, no doubt. By the way, oh, the Hillbilly Hipster is on my TV right now. You know who the uh Hillbilly Hipster is?
1: You're talking about Marty Smith? Marty Smith, yes.
0: Yeah. You agree with that assessment, Hillbilly Hipster? One uh well, hmm. Hillbilly Hipster.
1: I don't know if I he, he's not as much of a hillbilly as he is a redneck.
0: Maybe. I mean, you've listened to that show occasionally, and Eric's talking NASCAR, and, you know, that counts dog. But oh, Then he's NASCAR. got the finely coiffed hair and the nice beard, beautifully groomed and everything. Really good at what he does. Oh, I'm yeah. Not, I'm not Fantastic. Saying, I'm not saying that he's not good, but I've always thought of him as the hillbilly hipster, in my my opinion.
1: One of our listeners says, just crossed the Oklahoma-Kansas state line on my way back to Iowa. You're going back to Iowa? Really?
0: Oh, no. Well, when you go by... Through Clear Lake, if you do, stop at the Surf Ballroom.
1: Everybody's saying the Wichita Mountains. Do they count?
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't think you could hit it in that direction, though. We're talking about the direction if the wind's blowing out 40 miles an hour at first pitch time for the OU softball team at 6 o'clock. Yeah, that'd be be a foul ball. It would be blowing to the, uh, the north. So we're thinking north.
1: One of our listeners says, "Wichita native, so disgusting. Driving into town and smelling the poop canal,
0: the poop plant, and the canal route. Yes, the poop plant. Is that what it says? The poop plant. Ugh. I, 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 it's it's a lot
1: worse certain days than others. Like sometimes I'll drive through Wichita and I'll be like, well, it's not that bad. Other yeah. days I'm like,
0: oh, hello. Ugh. Why was Jack White going to Wichita then? That's what I want to know." That is the million-dollar question. Every time I hear that song,
1: I'm like, why why Wichita of all places? Why? Mm -hmm.
0: Why, Jack? All right. uh, Back to the Air Comfort Solutions text line. If we want to beat Alabama on the field, we first have to
1: have better fan support off the field. Saban's first year, they had 160,000. We can probably pack ninety thousand in the palace and the rest of the Sooner Faith will need to be outside at Heisman Park for the statue. And let's land Overton.
0: Uh what is the latest on Overton? It's still you think it's still Oklahoma and Texas A and I thought I heard <laughs> it you say it the other day. It depends on who you talk to because right now there are there are those
1: who assert that things are trending in the direction of the AGS.
0: That means a bag full of cash, isn't that what they're doing at A and M? Yes, legal cash, but cash nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So A&M is going with the cash routes. Um, Oklahoma is going with, and it's not like OU isn't going to be doing any NIL stuff. They are. But you see some programs out there that, man, they think the NIL route is the route to go, right? Is that short-sighted, or do you think that's? It's very short-sighted. It's very short-sighted. And that's the
1: reason why Texas A&M isn't going to be nearly as successful as people think. Because when you recruit athletes based on NIL, when that is the driving force of your recruiting pitch, it's not about the team at that point. It's about the individual. And when you have a bunch of lone wolves in your locker room... A bunch of guys that are out for their own benefit and their own brand and their own fame. How in the world, Mike, do you think you're going to roster, I believe, 18 blue-chip defensive linemen over the last three recruiting classes, and they're all going to be satisfied with the amount of playing time and the amount of attention and the amount of coaching that they're getting?
0: They're not. They're not. Yeah, and, and as we said, uh, Oklahoma's going to be involved with the NIL. There's no doubt, and they have been already, but it's not like they're basing everything, all right, you know, let's talk recruiting here, guys. What do we have NIL-wise? They're talking about, you know, uh, making sure these kids have something planned for after uh, after their football careers are over. They're, they're playing the long game, and uh, usually the long game wins in the end. Now... I don't know. You know, what do we see with, uh, like, Memphis basketball already? They had these incredible recruiting classes, and guess what? The NCAA is looking at them already. And they haven't done anything with it. Does A M has got a lot of money. They've got really good facilities. They have a fervent fan base. They're half crazy. I kind of like it to a certain extent because it's, it's different at A&M. It's just a totally different vibe around Texas A&M. But... I don't know. This just seems like uh, – does A&M, don't, don't their facilities do a bunch for them already? Now, we've always thought about A&M football-wise that they've always been like – they have thought they're the prettiest cheerleader on the squad, and they haven't even been close. But they think that all the time. You know, the Aggie faithful is uh, – well, they are very faithful. And like I said, half crazy, but – I don't know. Jimbo Fisher was a good hire for them, though. But do you think that A&M is, is 90% of this, the money in the NIL? Yes. Yes, 90% of it is. Hmm.
1: They are playing up NIL hard. And it's because, I've said this before, Mike, it's because they realize that whatever claim to superiority or exclusivity they have as the common ground between Texas and the SEC is going away. And as soon as OU and Texas are in the SEC alongside them, their ability to recruit is going to get a lot more difficult. And they're going to start losing all of the recruiting battles that they used to lose when those three teams were all in the Big 12 together. And that a and started to have a little bit more of a foothold in when they made the move to the SEC.
0: Here's my question, though. It it seems to me that the NCAA has been emasculated, and uh, I don't think the NCAA is ever going to be as powerful as it once was. It looks like that power is diminishing uh, every day. So are we going to have schools that go on probation that get severely sanctioned by the ncaa how long is the ncaa going to be around and if they do severely sanction a couple teams in the sec or whatever conference when does that conference decide you know what we're just going to do it ourselves see you guys uh so i'm wondering like i said and and a lot of this may be legitimate nil stuff right but it might be some extra bags of cash or whatever is the NCAA going to be in the business of sanctioning schools, or is this just going to be here? Here are your two bags of cash right here. Go ahead. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Are we going to see another SMU? Now we have we were told a long time ago by a lot of people on the inside that the death penalty would never come around again. But I'm talking about severe sanctions. Uh, USC, while back, got some pretty severe sanctions, right? I'm wondering if some of these schools just think, you know what? The NCAA is Pee Wee Herman now. You know, they can't bench press, you know, 60 pounds. They have no strength anymore, no real say, and certainly not as much as they used to. We can get away with more than – and now with with no – as Muleshoe called it, what was it, guardrails. Guardrails, Even though he was dipping in the portal cookie jar uh, and has benefited from it more than just about anybody in college football. Yeah. it's the wild, wild west. So, I don't know. I still think you play the long game.
1: You have to. And I know it's it's not going to be popular among some fans for Oklahoma to lean away from leveraging NIL because there are plenty that believe you're going to have to be able to play the NIL game and play it well if you're going to land elite talent going forward. And there's some element of truth to that. To that, right? You're going to have to have an NIL plan at the very least. You don't have to offer every single blue chip prospect a couple million bucks of NIL dollars over the next several years to come play football at your institution, but it's going to have to be part of the pitch that you make. Doesn't have to be the cornerstone, Mm going to have to be part of it. But I think there is a beauty and there is an appeal in Oklahoma zigging where everyone else is zagging. And focusing on relationships, focusing on the long term, focusing on 40 years, not four years, when you're talking about getting a student athlete ready to thrive in life, not just in football. I do think that's going to be a successful approach. All
0: right, we're going to break right here. Our friends at the uh, Seth Wiley Auto Group bringing you hour number two here on Steelman and Thune, in the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. Air Comfort Solutions, text line 405-651-3439. Coming back with Jesse Crittenden, talking sooner of spring football and more next. Tuesday edition, Mike Steele, Parker Thune. It is Steel Man and Thune at noon here on the Rep Radio Network, locked in, coming up here in about 25 minutes with uh, Parker and Tyler McComas. Right now, we welcome in on the law offices of Rod Polson, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line, the one and only Jesse Crittenden, sports editor, Norman Transcript, Jesse Thanks for your time today. Another media session uh, with Brent yesterday and Miguel Chabas. How would you describe to a Sooner fan, uh, really stupid question here, by the way, by me, but to a Sooner fan that had not seen Brent do his thing yet uh, or this staff, how would you describe the way this staff is going about their business so far? I thought I may have heard a click. And I. Uh oh. That stupid question will not have to be answered yet. Yep, sure enough. Okay,
1: I'm going to have to get him back on the yep. phone line. Because I thought
0: I heard in my ear a little bitty click. So we'll just get him back on the line. Okay, I'll work on that. One second here. No problem. No problemo. Let's talk about Riverwind Casino. April promotions are right around the corner, so get ready. Next couple days, you're going to know what's happening in April. You know this. going to be a lot of cash, a lot of bonus play, a lot of opportunities to win. Your dining options, whether it's the River Buffet or Chips and Ales Pub Restaurant or the Food Court, now with a brand-new IHOP in there. They're always great at Riverwind. And they did just announce the lineup for Beats and Bites 2022 and uh, that will begin on May 28th. The show with Night Ranger and Starship featuring Mickey Thomas will be on May 28th. The first time you're able to get out there, enjoy some great music, all the food trucks, craft beer from Coop Works, and just have a great time outside with some great music. It's a great atmosphere out there. Tickets are only five bucks. It's it's really a fun time. Everclear and Sister Hazel with Deep Blue Something will be out there in June on June eighteenth, and then in July we'll have the Randy Rogers Band with a fireworks uh, display afterwards. And you know that Riverwind does their fireworks display, right? It's incredible. That'll be after the Randy Rogers Band uh, is on stage. July 9th, and then Scotty McCreary will wind, uh, wind up the uh, 2022 Beats and Bites schedule with the show on July 30th. You can get tickets online right now at riverwind.com. Great time outdoors with food trucks, craft beers, great music, great atmosphere. Beats and Bites 2022 at Riverwind Casino. All right, Jesse, we lost you there for a minute. I, my, my silly question that I had uh, asked was this. Uh, let's say a Sooner fan had been uh, – out of the country or something, hadn't been able to follow this new Oklahoma coaching staff. How would you describe the way this new coaching staff with Brent, Miguel Chavis, we heard from him yesterday, Todd Bates, all these new guys coming aboard. How would you describe the way they're going about their business so far and what's different about it?
4: Yeah, I I think the first word that comes to mind for me is passionate. Um, I, I just think that that comes from every coach um, that we've talked to so far, and you can see it uh, when they're out there on the field. I mean, it, we, we've been the media has been the four practices now, and and there really is just an energy um, out there with with every practice. M- Miguel Chavis has has been uh, almost at the forefront of that. I mean, obviously, it all comes from Brent Venables, who who is such a, a passionate, energetic, kind of intense guy. Uh, but, you know, Miguel, we got to talk to him for the second time yesterday, and he's really a guy, I mean, he can, you know, he, he's kind of funny and he has a different, uh, you know, energy about him. but it all circles back to just, um, you know, he, he really seems grateful, and I think that's where that passion stems from is, is you know, getting this first opportunity as a, as a position coach doing it at OU. I mean, I, I think I think these guys realize, uh, just how incredible of an opportunity this is, not only to be at OU, but to be with Brent Venable. So our, I really think that's been my takeaway is they've, they've just been excited and, and passionate, and it's easy to see. Now, Jesse, among the newcomers,
1: uh, whether transfers, whether incoming freshmen, whatever the case may be, but among the guys that weren't part of this locker room a year ago, uh, who stood out and what stood out from what you've observed at practice over the last week or so?
4: Yeah, I, I really I think first I, I mentioned uh, him last week with uh, you know, the transfer guy Jonah Alualu. I mean, they talked about him yesterday. Brent talked about him yesterday, uh, and so did Miguel. I mean, he's he's a guy. I mean, he's huge, um, but but he moves so well too. I mean, I think that's that's really been my takeaway. Is is um, he he's kind of got the best of both worlds. He's, he's a he's a really he he just stands so big, but he, uh, he moves kind of gracefully. He moves almost as a smaller guy. Um, that, I mean, I, I think he's the guy that's really going to make uh, an impact um, pretty much immediately um, for this team. And honestly, I think uh, Nick Evers, a uh, quarterback, has really stood out to me, too. Um, just going through the quarterback drills, you know, not that we've gotten to see a ton, um, but he's a guy that looks comfortable kind of moving in and out of the pocket. Um, he delivers balls that are on point. Um, he he, kind of. I mean, especially as a as a freshman coming in, he just really um, seems like he already has a poise to him that um, that's impressive, and I think pretty obvious to see.
0: Jesse Crittenden is with us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor. Uh, what do you think the chances are the Sooner fans actually do pack the place for the spring game, April twenty third? Do you think that uh, that's a realistic possibility?
4: I do. I, I think. I mean, I, I think the energy is different everywhere. I, I do think that. Um, I mean, just from everything I've seen and everybody I've talked to, I mean, I really think the fan base really, really does seem, you know, reinvigorated. Um, not that this fan base ever lacks in passion or anything like that, but um, just all of the calls I've seen for people to really go there, uh, you know, to pack, to, you know, to pack the palace uh, is is really there. And that's been the thing that Brent Venables has opened both of his press conferences with um, in spring ball. I mean, he did it yesterday, he did it last week. I mean, the first thing he said is, I mean, we want people here. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I I think that is a realistic goal, and and I think part of it's based on kind of the unique circumstances of this year. Um, But I think there are, I mean, there's just going to be a new interest there, I think, to see, you know, Brent Venables and this new coaching staff, these new players, you know, their first action on the field. I, I think there is some new excitement there.
1: As you take a look at this expanded Oklahoma staff in action at practice, Jesse, talking about uh, off-field analysts like J.P. Lozman and support staffers like Josh Norman, all of the ancillary pieces to the staff beyond the 11 guys that make up the formal coaching staff, what kind of an impact and what kind of effect do you see them having uh, from what you've already seen and from what you think uh, the direction of this program is going to uh, is gonna be headed toward as far as uh, the guys not necessarily being part of the coaching staff but being part of the support staff interacting with and helping to shape the players.
4: yeah, absolutely I, I think I think that's that's been one of the bigger takeaways um, from these practices that we've got seen as well is just how many people are involved how many people are are in different drills and talking to players and, and doing different things, working with uh, the 11 main coaches. You mentioned uh, Josh Norman as a guy. I mean, he's been a prevalent face definitely um, at, at all of these practices. I mean, again, um, the the emphasis on the support staff I actually I think has been one of the key um, changes uh, with Brent Venables in this new regime. Um, it really, I mean, it, it just, and he's and he's openly said during press conferences. I mean, obviously he's going to be the head coach and the and the the tip of the spear that kind of oversees everything. Um, but I mean, it, he knows that there are a lot of. I mean, it takes a lot of people to run a program like Oklahoma, not only as big as this is, as the program is, but as prestigious as it is. And this emphasis on the support staff and all of the different roles that are here too. It's not even just. Um, the the new number of support staff, but the different roles um, that they're doing. I mean, I, I think. I mean, it, these practices have just been. I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on all the time. Um, it's it, it's not chaotic, but there's a lot that's going on. And I and I do think, you know, a lot of people talk about the differences between Brent Venables and Lincoln Riley, just in terms of you know coaching philosophy and 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 energy and, and emphasis in different areas and all that stuff. I really think support staff has been one of the one of the key changes so far. All
0: right, Jesse, I want to switch to basketball for a second. Interesting tweet yesterday. When I first saw it, I'm like, okay. Uh, John Rostein tweeted out, Oklahoma, you know, announces that uh, uh, you know, Tanner Groves is coming back and Elijah Harkless is coming back and Mo Gibson will consider his Pro options before making a decision, which is, you know, stuff that we all basically knew. And we speculated about Mo, if he's got a chance, maybe he could play in Europe. We'll see. Maybe he would be a late second round, really late second round pick. Or maybe he can make an NBA roster. Who knows? Austin Reeves did it. But that's stuff we all knew. And then the the other piece was that in C.J. Nolan will be coming back to Oklahoma. And I thought, okay, again. But, you know, when you really look at that, C.J. Nolan was recruited by Lon. Stuck around for this year with Porter, made the all-big 12 freshman team, did some good things. So maybe that is news that, that C.J. Nolan, at least, is coming back. How did you how did you see that? I I think a lot of people just kind of looked at that like, all right, there's nothing there. Maybe there was a little bit of something there, though. Yeah, I think when it comes to
4: C.J. Nolan, yeah, I mean, it is, it is kind of a different world that we're seeing in in terms of, you know, where it is kind of – it is news, you know, when a freshman stays. Um, but you're exactly right, and I think and I think we're seeing um, it's not just it's not just increased activity in the transfer portal that we're seeing. It's also, I mean, the reasons why that's happening. I really think um, that I mean that, that there are there are more coaches that are developing personal race, relationships with players where that's almost the selling point more of that than the university. So I think you know when you got someone like C.J. Nolan who was recruited by Lon Kruger, it is impactful that. Um, you know he is he is committing to coming back with Porter Moser. Um, that that it, I mean it, I think it kind of rep, it represents kind of the key change in what we've seen with recruiting and, and activity and the transport portal. But yeah, I, I think I think that's a win for Porter Moser to have somebody. I mean especially all of the guys that left um, after Lon Kruger retired last year. I mean Brady Manick obviously is as the big example, but there were several guys that left the team last year, and so to have a freshman. Um, you know who came here. You know under the assumption that um, that Long Kruger was going to be here to stay with Porter Moser. I mean, I think that's a win for Porter. Uh, I really do, and I think that shows that uh, you know there there are going to be guys that want to stay and play. And, and I think even Tanner Groves um, is another example of that. Obviously, he he played at at, um, at Eastern Washington, but I mean, I, I that's really what it under, what it undersells is Porter Moser's emphasis that it's going to be about staying and building, keeping keeping guys in the program and then building on top of that. So, I mean, I think those are definitely wins for him.
0: Jesse, as usual, we appreciate your time. We'll talk again soon. Yeah, thank you, guys. Jesse Crittenden, joining us, Norman Transcript Sports Editor on the law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line. We'll take a break right here, come back, some final sports notes. Tiger, he's in Augusta today. The planets have aligned... Tiger Woods could be teeing it up next week at the Masters. Please, golf gods, let it happen. We'll be right back. Tiger, from me to you, I will never forget about you. You know that. Man crush, full on. All right, Tiger in Augusta today... I bet he and Joey LaCaba right now are out there walking around and uh, seeing how it goes today. But Tiger and Augusta, you saw the video probably on social media, if you follow any golf accounts, that Tiger was at Medalist with Joey in Florida over the weekend. And uh, somebody was able to get a little video there. We had uh, We had a mole out there, a Tiger mole. And we learned today that Tiger jumped on the private jet, traveled to Augusta, and uh, the word is, again, he is uh, still considering trying to play at Augusta. And I think all signs are pointing to Tiger wants to play. And the question is whether or not he can walk four rounds at Augusta. Now, maybe he wouldn't have to walk four rounds. I mean, could Tiger miss the cut? Yes, if he doesn't play well. But I think he's really wanting to give this a go. He hasn't played since the uh, rescheduled Masters of 2020. Uh, and Tiger finished uh, one under. He was like top 30. I think he was like tied 18th. or No, it was worse than that. He was like in the 30s. But and uh, actually, I think he, sh- he played well the first couple rounds, and then he kind of blew up on the weekend. I remember, he had a 76 on Sunday. But Tiger at the age of 46. Uh, Trying to get out there, give it a go, and uh, do kind of a scouting voyage out of Augusta and see if he can walk that course and do it and play good golf and not wear out with that rebuilt leg he's on right now. Tiger, of course, has won five green jackets. Would it not be amazing? You think about that 2019 victory, and it was 11 years since he had last won his – Previous major, which was the 2008 U.S. Open at Torrey Pines in San uh, and Tiger finally got that 15th major. Huge, uh, that one right up there with Jack in '86 for me. I mean, I would go Tiger one, Jack one A. It's both were probably my two most memorable sports days. The final rounds there, but um, if he came back and won this after shattering his leg and had the possibility he was facing a potential leg amputation there of his lower leg and comes back and wins a green jacket. <laughs> it was like ben, ben Hogan when he got hit by a bus and came back, literally got hit by a bus and came back and won the U.S. Open. And Tiger has talked about that as the greatest comeback in golf, uh, you know, in press conferences before. So we'll see, Parker. I mean, that would somehow
1: dwarf the magnitude of his 2019 Masters victory. I mean,
0: dwarf it. Yeah, I don't know if I would go dwarf, but it would surpass it. You know the the one thing that would be different. I don't know would the celebration uh, be as intense and as uh, organic as it was after he won. You know, on eighteen with his family and Charlie and everything, and the fans going crazy and Tiger fist pumping and I don't know. But it would be it would be even more remarkable, in my opinion. Well, I mean, think about it. I don't
1: know how you looked at it, Steely, but for me that masters in 2019 it was like well that's tiger's last hurrah like that's the last major he'll ever yeah, win you might want a big story tour, you know story book ending but that's the type of thing that's an anomaly in every sense of the word and it we're getting close to the end of the road for tiger this is going to be i'm trying to think what i can compare it to like Kobe scoring 60 in his final game yeah. a couple of years back and basically yeah. single-handedly coming back to beat the Jazz in that contest. So
0: It would be phenomenal, though. You're right. Uh, that's a good way to look at it. I, I think, again, uh, that remember he's still tied with Sam Snead for the all-time PGA career wins uh, mark as well at 82. So he just so, needs one more. One more to break that record. Uh, he's not going to get to Jack's record of 18 majors, but – uh, man, I, I'm all in Tiger. If he can play at Augusta, that makes it extra special. Augusta is always special, but we'll see. Looks to me like he's really angling and trying his best to find out if he can play there and wants to play. The question is, will the, uh, will the leg hold up? And we should be finding out something, uh, pretty shortly. I would think on that Augusta teeing up next Thursday. All right. We got locked in coming up next. Parker, Tyler McComas, always some great radio. You guys have a great Tuesday. We'll see you.